We've conducted over 5 million Dido visits across Kaiser Permanente this year, which is over 20 times the volume of what we had compared to 2019. The infectious disease role has been to understand the science and translate that into um, what does good population health management look like for a big system like Kaiser Permanente. Hello and welcome to the Permanente Medicine Podcast. I'm Chris Grant, your host and Chief Operating Officer of the Permanente Federation. I'm happy to be back after pressing pause on our podcast to focus on Kaiser Permanente's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. What I've learned over the last few months is that it's important for us in the healthcare industry to share vital information and lean on each other. While there is still much more work to be done on this front, it's important that we share the expertise of our Permanente physicians, especially at this time, in as many mediums as possible, including this podcast. You might notice that things sound a little different than usual. That's because we are recording remotely instead of in our usual studio setting, so we can follow safe social distancing practices with our guests. Like everything so far in 2020, this will be a new experience for me, our guests, and you, our listeners. So I appreciate your understanding and for always listening. Today, I'm excited to have two physician leaders from the Permanente Medical Group and the Permanente Federation joining me, who have been front and center to Kaiser Permanente's response to the pandemic. They'll share what they've learned early on about COVID-19 and how they have addressed the many challenges of the pandemic and what lies ahead. Calling into the show are Dr. Stephen Perotti, an infectious disease physician and executive vice president for external affairs, communication and brand at the Permanente Federation and a national infectious disease leader at Kaiser Permanente. And Dr. Ed Lee, an internist and executive vice president for information technology and chief information officer of the Permanente Federation. Working with these two physician leaders over the past few months, I'm in awe at their commitment to medicine, especially to the practice of Permanente medicine. Welcome, Stephen Ed. I'm thrilled to have you both on the show. Hey, great to be here, Chris. Thanks so much, Chris. I'd like to start with a question for you, Steve. As Kaiser Permanente's national infectious disease leader, I know you've had many sleepless nights and have probably been in nonstop meetings since late last year in preparing for COVID-19. How are you doing? Well, you know, Chris, it's been just quite an amazing uh, ride. You know, if you think about it, when we went into training, and and Ed can testify this too, um, we had a lot of sleepless nights during our training, and we've done you know, in my infectious disease world, uh, a lot of uh, discussions around pandemics and have always referenced the 1918 pandemic as sort of the baseline for, you know, what could happen. And now we're living it. Um, And I can say that I'm really happy to have been at Kaiser Permanente to go through this with uh, all of my colleagues and all of the staff that have done just an amazing job to stand up to really the the pandemic of uh, century. Yeah, and what a job you've done in, in leading the response. It's been amazing, and I've seen you internally within Kaiser Permanente. I've seen you at the at the state and the federal level. 
really influencing policy and, and sharing insight and, and wisdom. It's been, quite frankly, uh, wonderful to watch and remarkable work. And you're right. This is, you know, once in a century pandemic that nobody would ever wish upon society. But it is what an infectious disease physician trains their whole career for and what they are ready to serve in addressing. Can you describe the important role of infectious disease physicians at this moment in time during the pandemic? You know, I think there are a few levels here. So one is um, just understanding uh, the ever-changing landscape when it comes to the virus itself. Um, so if you think about it, we have gone from understanding the basics of uh, what the virus is capable of doing, what's the natural course of the disease, what are the symptoms, who are the people that this virus could uh, affect more critically than others, what are the early signs of what we should be doing around therapeutics, and thinking through, you know, what's the state of play when it comes to vaccines. So really, the infectious disease role has been to understand the science and translate that into um, what does good population health management look like for a big system like Kaiser Permanente? Um, so there's the subject matter expertise. There's the sort of practical application of all the information we're getting in from the different agencies, as you referenced, the, the federal agencies, state agencies, and in many cases, the local public health departments and working hand-in-hand -hand with the relationships that we've developed over the years um, has been critically important to this response. It is incredible the necessary infrastructure in place to respond because it is very much community-based but relies heavily upon state and federal agencies. Ed, let's turn to you. We've seen a lot of stories recently about the increased use of telehealth for patient care during COVID-19. It's grown exponentially at Kaiser Permanente and similarly in other health organizations that have had to ramp up. How do you think telehealth will evolve going forward? And what other technologies do you see becoming more prevalent through the pandemic and long beyond? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so telehealth has played a key role during the pandemic. It's allowed our physicians to maintain contact with our patients and so the patients can continue to be connected with their care teams. We've conducted over 5 million video visits across Kaiser Permanente this year, which is over 20 times the volume of what we had compared to 2019. And when I say telehealth, I'm talking about more than just video visits, though. That, of course, has skyrocketed, but our other telehealth channels have increased as well. Things like secure messaging, audio-only visits, e-visits, chat, and remote patient monitoring have all been on the rise since COVID started, too. What we've seen is a growing acceptance of our patients to receive care through telehealth, recognizing the safety, convenience, and value that it can bring. And similarly, our physicians are now more comfortable delivering permanent medicine through telehealth too. And as we gain more experience, we're refining our ability to identify which conditions can be resolved through telehealth and which will be more likely to require an in-person visit. And we should do what's necessary to streamline the care of our patients and to make it as easy as possible to take care of the patient's problem in the most convenient way. So overall, we've built up foundational capabilities, and I think our future in telehealth is really going to be quite exciting. 
it seems to me that the pandemic and COVID-19 have accelerated the use of virtual care and telehealth, you know, maybe in 12 months, accelerated it five years as far as patient, consumer, and provider receptivity. These are certainly unprecedented times in healthcare and society. Um, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from this experience? Steve? Yeah, you know, uh, Chris, one of the first things that, that I think has really come to the fore is that whenever you're dealing with an epidemic or pandemic, you're really dealing with two things. And so we touched on earlier the epidemic of the disease itself. And then there is an epidemic of fear. And one of the most important things in a pandemic is to calm the fear, quell the waters, if you will. And the role of having a reliable source of information the role of being a trusted communicator has been never more important. Um, and so one of the things that I think become clear is that Permanente Medicine, Kaiser Permanente, needs to be out there speaking our piece um, to be able to be a source of calm, be a source of truth. The second thing that I think is really clear is that, uh, unfortunately, over the last uh, several decades, our nation has hollowed out the public health infrastructure. And there is a need for funding really at every level, whether it's at the CDC level or all the way down to our local public health department. And fortunately, we've seen some steps in the right direction with the CARES Act funding, but there is much more that needs to be put in place on a long-term basis, not just in reflexive action to COVID-19. I think the third thing that comes to mind uh, for me is the relief uh, that needs to be in place for our communities of color, the issues around systemic racism, which have uh, come to the fore when it comes to the African-American, Latinx, or Native American populations that have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19 with respect to either complications or hospitalization. And, you know, Kaiser Permanente has really stepped up to provide culturally competent care, whether that is uh, providing materials, Um, They're written in native language so that we can reach those communities to uh, be able to outreach uh, with our case management systems in place that pre-existed COVID-19, and then doing some things that are innovative. I have to say, Steve, you've you've become the the Dr. Fauci of Kaiser Permanente uh, as far as how folks look to you for the honest, integritous answer. Great insight, great perspective, and really appreciate it. Ed, how about you? What are some of the lessons that you've learned uh, from your personal experience as a doctor and leading information technology? There are a, a couple of things that come to mind. And the first is that I'd say that what we've been able to accomplish was made possible by our integrated care delivery system. And it really does take a village. Our physicians seeing patients day in and day out who work with their department chiefs, who coordinate with facility and regional leaders, who then work with our Permanente technology leaders, who in turn work with our IT colleagues. It's been a coordinated response to be successful, and the result is that our patients are benefiting from this. We see this in the volumes that we're we're seeing, and we see this in the satisfaction scores that we're getting from both our patients and our physicians. And and overall, this has given our patients options that allow them to receive care that best fits their needs. 
our value-based model of care, where our goal is to deliver the highest quality and to do what's best for our patients, has helped us move the telehealth needle early on and allowed us to maintain the momentum as the pandemic has progressed. I think um, it's been gratifying to see that our system is really ideally suited to leverage telehealth in the in the best possible way. Yeah, that's great insight. And I'm going to continue with you, Ed, on a thread that Steve had raised around social determinants. The pandemic has revealed many health disparities in how COVID-19 affects communities and health organizations' response in providing care. When it comes to telehealth specifically, are there challenges related to health disparities that you've seen during the pandemic? Unfortunately, telehealth is not immune to healthcare disparities, and we have to recognize the fact that there is a digital divide, and not everyone has the ability to connect via telehealth. I do think that telehealth in general can increase access to care for more patients and has the potential to reduce health disparities, especially if we can narrow the digital divide or or eliminate the digital divide. Great. And that was the word that came to mind as I listened to you, uh, equity, and just removing barriers to access. It's really quite inspiring, Ed, and I'm so appreciative of, of the work that you're doing in responding so significantly with telehealth capabilities, but also so thoughtfully in addressing some of the inequities that exist within society. Steve. Kaiser Permanente as an organization has addressed significant challenges in recent years, and I've seen you personally at the forefront of virtually every one of them, from the California wildfires to potential pandemics like Zika. How did those experiences help inform our current COVID-19 response, and how will this pandemic prepare us for the future? Yeah, thanks for the question, Chris, because this is really how we've been resilient in this current pandemic. So we, as an organization, actually invested in having an actual emergency response system. And uh, we've got experts at the national level who have uh, led the fight and charge, if you will, uh, to have a true emergency management program in place. So that means that There's a lot of planning that goes into the thought process. There are teams that actually simulate disasters. Um, We actually get people together and uh, create the incident command structure that's uh, needed for the focus and rapid response that's needed for these kinds of um, disasters. So it's a lot of training. It's a lot of investment um, in people being able to step out of their usual roles so that they can actually respond in the moment. So. We literally have put the playbook together about what an emergency management program looks like. But I'll just tell you that with this pandemic, um, I remember getting a phone call at my kitchen table, literally, and it was clear early on that we were going to have to move from a containment strategy to a mitigation strategy for COVID-19. And the question was, what is a mitigation strategy? And because we had an emergency management program in place, I was able to pick up the phone and talk to a few key individuals and said, you know, we need to get 40 or 50 people in a room. We need to do it now. And we need to have a mitigation playbook put together in 48 hours because we need to inform the entire program, the Kaiser Permanente, about what we're going to do. And by the way, we need to make this open source 
and share it with our state governments and share it with whoever will listen so that we can have a coordinated response because the only way we're going to get our arms around this pandemic is a community-level response. And we got that out. Today, uh, as we speak, uh, we have a national command center that remains actively engaged and regional command centers in each of our sites uh, throughout the country and then local command centers. And what this allows us to do is have clear and consistent communication um, within the organization. And then with the command centers that are set up outside of our organization, whether they're other uh, sister health systems or they're the uh, state-level governments, we can have clear communication horizontally as well. So that's really been important for us to be able to, you know, number one, be ready, be prepared. But I think, you know, at the core of this, actually save lives. And that's really what this is all about. Terrific. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I have a question for both of you. This is obviously a trying time for our nation and the world at large. In addition to COVID-19, we face social unrest, intense political debate, and natural disasters from hurricanes to the wildfires along the West Coast. Through challenges, there are always silver linings to be found. And I often talk about silver linings from this pandemic. From a personal perspective, I watched tens of thousands of laptops and information technology-enabled devices deployed across Kaiser Permanente. I've sat beside my late 80s and 90-year-old parents as they very ably attended a video-based appointment. And I've also seen a renewed and unwavering commitment to addressing inequities in health. And each one of these I view as a silver lining. What do you both see as some of the silver linings that we can look at for inspiration right now? Ed, why don't we start with you? Yeah, this, is, this has been such a challenging time for our country with multiple once-in-a-generation type of events happening all at once. And I have to say that I've been inspired to see what our Permanente colleagues have done to accomplish in light of all these diversities. I think the mission-driven nature of our organization has helped us do what it takes to continue to deliver high-quality care, whether in person or remotely through telehealth, and to just, just figure it out, no matter what the situation is and what else is going on in the larger global political landscape. We've been able to leverage our expertise, our technology, our ingenuity and creativity, and that has translated into more patients being cared for more lives being saved, and less morbidity and mortality overall. I think specifically, we've always expected telehealth to be an important part of the way we would deliver care in the future. And we've already alluded to the fact that even with our and our healthcare system, a system that was using telehealth more than others as it was, we've matured significantly over the past seven months. And what would have potentially taken seven years to develop um, if not for, for COVID. And it's the entire system, not just the technology. It's also our physicians and the rest of the care team, but it's also our patients who have been more thoroughly introduced to the various telehealth methods that we have available now. So I see all of that as, as silver linings, as what we've been able to go through and endure despite all the challenges in the, in the environment that we've been facing. 
That's great. And, and you can absolutely see that this is a transformation point in healthcare and that accelerated migration to um, virtual care and remote monitoring uh, will be lasting uh, long beyond the pandemic and, and will have a profound effect on patients' health and patients' outcomes. And Steve, what are some of the silver linings that you look to for inspiration at this moment in time? You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you to start off with a, a story. And we were um, early on in the pandemic facing supply shortages with a number of different forms of PPE. And one of those was the face shield. Um, we simply did not have enough. Uh, in fact, we had calculated out we were short you know, 1,000 to 2,000 face shields per day based on the national stock that we had available. And uh, somebody came up to me early on in the command center uh, on a early morning and said to me, did you know that uh, in the cafeteria, the carpenters and the compliance department have gotten together, they went to a bunch of hardware stores, bought all the necessary supplies to make face shields and are cranking out 800 to 1,000 a day. And for me, uh, what that spoke to was the level of commitment, the level of innovation, and the level of just simple know-how and we're not going to give up and we're going to make this happen. Um, and I think that literally inspired everyone in that command center to say that, you know, we can overcome. And then the last thing I'll just sort of say is that I know that we have talked about social distancing and that, you know, that is a key method to preventing the spread of this virus. And it really is a misnomer. Ed's really focused and I think uh, helped inspire and lead a number of the innovations when it comes to allowing us to actually be socially connected while physically distanced. It's really physical distancing that we're trying to achieve here. And these technologies that we've uh, brought into place in a big way the last eight, nine months here has allowed us to connect on a much more personal basis in some ways with our patients. So I think all of those things for me are silver linings to what has inevitably been a, a difficult situation. That's great, great insight and observations. And, you know, it hits on the power of the human spirit. Well, I want to thank you both. For me, this has just been a, a joy and a ton of fun. It's hard for me to put into words the immense appreciation and admiration I have for both of you and the leadership that you've shown over the past few months. I have seen you work 18-hour days, seven days a week, and tirelessly move forward in ensuring that no patient is left behind or falls through the cracks. And it's just been so inspirational in how um, both of you have shown up and led in such a capable, profound way. Thank you both for joining today. And I'm going to send you back to continue to do this good work that we've been talking about. And I'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. And we will be back with the next podcast shortly. Have a great day. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Ed. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having us, Chris. That's our show for today. My thanks to our guest and to you for listening. Be sure to catch up with other episodes of our podcast by visiting Permanente.org or by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time. 
The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of Kaiser Permanente, the Permanente Medical Groups, or the Permanente Federation.